beyond ideas of wrongdoing and right-doing. There is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make sense. Hi everyone. I was really looking forward to talk to Mandy about her spiritual path. We have been friends for many years and I somehow feel connected to her in spirit and has felt it from when we met, although I have no idea what her spirituality actually entails. This is thus going to be an interesting chat for me. This is also my first recording off-site, so I hope that the sound quality is good. Let's hear what we can learn from Andy. Right, Mandy, how are you doing? Good, thanks. And you? I'm awesome. Great. I'm loving your space. I'm loving Komiki. For the people who don't know, I we are in Komiki for the weekend, and I'm speaking to my friend Mandy. And she has a lovely house overlooking the sea, and we've taken her new doggy Ben for a walk this morning already, and went for a lovely breakfast. So really an awesome space. So it's lovely to be here. Thank you so much for having us. Thank and you for so much for visiting <laughs> us. Absolutely welcome. And thanks for chatting to me. Mandy, you're one of those people whom I've known for a, for a bloody long time. <laughs> Since what, 95? I think it was about 95. 95, 96. Yeah, somewhere around yeah. there. When and we met at Appleton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when we worked together. And since I've known you, and we've gone through some deep waters together. Indeed. I don't think we've ever discussed um, spirituality or religion or anything like that. So I know nothing about you in terms of what you believe in, what your thoughts are about spiritual, religion type of things. Mm -hmm. And it's quite weird when I do these Talks. I always think about what do I know about these people in that regard, and invariably the answer is nothing. And I don't know whether it's that that old age thing that we don't discuss religion and politics around the table that we just don't talk about it. And being in recovery, for my recovery friends, it, it's it's obvious because that it's that's what it's based. But for my non-recovery friends like yourself, is we don't talk about it because it's just not something we talk about. Well, I guess when we see each other as well, there's so much to catch up on and. Um we tend to focus on that, you yeah. know, whereas I have a running friend um, who is a devout Christian, um, and we spend a lot of time talking about spirituality when we run together, because as as devout a Christian as she is, you would never say so, because she she swears like the rest of us and does wild <laughs> things like the rest of us, but she's absolutely committed to, yeah. to her um fairly charismatic Christianity. So okay. we have lots of discussions because spirituality is important to me. I think that it's one of the foundations of your personality. Yeah. I think you need to look after your physical health, your mental health, and your mental health is closely aligned to your spirituality. So from my perspective, I was influenced quite a lot by my visit, my first visit to Cambodia, which was a holiday. And I was taken aback by how profoundly peaceful the people in Cambodia were and how forgiving they were when one considered that the Pol Pot regime had been so awful. They, you know, yeah. the entire experience in Cambodia was, was absolutely vile and it was 
not that long ago. I mean, it was sort of 1994. Yeah. And a lot of the people that we met had family members who were, you know, summarily executed. Mm. Because Pol Pot, as you know, decided that he needed to obliterate all the university-educated people. And there are some very, very moving places where you can get an idea of of what they went through as as a, a nation. And then you meet... These people who are can talk to you about losing parents and losing siblings and and they are so forgiving. So that kind of fascinated me and I loved the just the gentleness of Buddhism. And I started exploring that more. I came back and went to a couple of sessions at the Buddhist Center in Weinberg. Okay. Where Rob Nan, who is a UCT professor, I think. I think he was a UCT professor of psychology. But he's also a very active member of that Weinberg Buddhist Center. So I'd go there in the evenings and listen to talks and also to learn how to meditate. So, yeah, that's kind of where my spiritual journey has been. But it's it's been a bit of a stop-start journey, you know. So things come along and I forget about Not forget about it. I, I don't practice it. Yeah. I don't discipline myself. It is about discipline. You have to actually start each day with meditation. Discipline is not one of my strong (laughs) points, unfortunately. And as I say, if you don't use it, you lose it. Mm. So it's interesting that a lot of times you talk about a religious discipline or spiritual discipline, and exactly what it is. You need to have a discipline of of practicing this on a regular basis. My favorite word at this moment is spiritual fitness. I I love that term because it, it, it says so clearly that we need to we need to have a, a, a sense of, of spiritual strength mm. to, to, to deal with life at this stage. Mm. How did you grow up? Somewhere in my back of my head, I get kind of a religion, organized religion background. I grew up in a, a an Anglican okay. family. I was christened and um, confirmed. Confirmed. Yeah. That's right. Affirmed. <laughs> confirmed um, in the Anglican church. My mum had a very strong faith. And was a regular churchgoer and trusted in God completely. My father was more inclined to believe in a higher being, but he wasn't quite sure where it was and um, didn't necessarily follow a specific doctrine. Okay. And as a, a young girl at school, I was quite heavily influenced by the charismatic Christian wave. I don't know if you recall that, that sort of swept over South Africa where there was kind of mass hysteria about things mm. like, you know, schools were being warned that the children shouldn't listen to certain songs. Those were the days when the Remus Church started in, Probably. in Johannesburg. Because Probably, I grew up yeah. in Johannesburg. Who was the starter of that? I can't remember his name. It was but Ray McCauley. Yes. 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 And yes. I think that, so, so it spread through our school as well, particularly through our boarding school. And we were taken to... Uh, can't remember what the church was called, but the big thing was that you had to be slain in the spirit and talk in tongues, you know. So that was, if that didn't happen to you, kind of hadn't got your naughty badge. Oh my God. It was quite an interesting, but but also weird part. And of did, it, did it resonate with you? No. Well, it, I thought it did, but I mean, okay. it, it didn't last very yeah. long. Okay. So <laughs> I moved away from that and I think quite a few people are surprised when I tell them that I'm more inclined to Buddhism than I am to 
Christianity. Although I do believe that whatever deity or higher being is there, I think whether you are Muslim or Christian or Buddhist or I think we're all actually seeking the same thing. Yeah. And that higher being is is the same for all of us. You know, I find it incredibly sad that there's so many wars fought mm. in the name of religion where ultimately they should all be striving for peace and yeah. harmony and compassion. Absolutely. So, I love that saying that says that if your God prescribes killing for religion, then surely you're praying to the wrong God. Yeah. <laughs> There's something wrong with with with, with, with that whole dogma yeah. type of thing. Yeah, you guys, you grew up on a farm. Yes. So, how far was the nearest church to the farm? Uh, we had two two sort of centers of church. As young kids, we went to school in a place called Kumcha, and there was a church there which we used to attend. And then, in later years, my parents favoured Stutterheim. Okay. I'm not sure for how that change came about, but um, there was also actually a church in the village in Kai Road. It was a very active Anglican church, very sweet little church. Um, was that the closest one? Yes, so that was Kai the village Road. Kai Road. The village, clo- my parents' address was Rockby Kai Road. Okay. K E I Road. Okay. And there was a beautiful little stone Anglican church. In fact, I was married there. So was my sister. But over the years, it became a contentious issue with race relations and council changes, you know, in those post-apartheid years. And hmm. sadly, I don't think it is used anymore. I know. And then at boarding school, we used to get marched off on a Sunday to the Anglican church. Or you'd, you know, you'd all get marched off to your various churches. So there was a crew that went off to the Methodist church and crew that went off to the Catholic church. And... Um, we would march down to the Anglican church. And which crowd, which crowd looked the happiest? <laughs> well, we were all quite happy because we got to stop at a shop on the way home <laughs> and buy the Sunday newspaper and get fresh loaves of bread. God, I can't, <laughs> the, I think the boarding school was just so... Food was so disgusting, so getting a, a big lo- fat loaf of fresh white bread hot out of the oven... You know, it was, yeah, it was a big deal for us. With your mom's freshly made farm butter. <laughs> no, that, had, that hadn't started yet. Oh. Yeah. So, yeah, that was interesting. And we used to sit in the back row, right in the back pew of this huge church, not pay attention to anything. And in what town was that? That was in East London. Okay. And we had to go in uniform. A oh, my full, God. Yeah, full yeah. school uniform with hats on and socks pulled up to the right point and walking in two by two and crocodile. Oh. <laughs> Oh, my word. So that is what you call organized religion. Yes, as opposed to organized crime. <laughs> I don't know it's this much funny. of a difference these days. No, I haven't actually thought about this for such a long time. It's interesting that you're asking these questions. But that's what most people say yeah. once we've had the chat. It's kind of, God, you visited things that I haven't even thought of. Yeah. It brought up a lot of emotions attached mm. to those type of things. Mm. That's why I like doing this. Mm. Part of it is, is opening new or old memories and, and forming new channels. And then after school, you went to varsity. Yes. In... I went to, came to varsity at UCT. Okay. Why did I think you were at Rhodes School? No. No, I was at UCT and I started studying speech therapy. And um, Another thing I never knew. <laughs> I didn't complete that because I stupidly fell in love. 
and was whisked off by this gentleman to live as a farmer's wife in the Eastern Cape. So I had a year to go with my degree and um, I didn't finish it. But I did a UNISA degree through correspondence, majoring okay. in history and psychology. In industry? History. History. History and psychology. Okay. And in terms of religion or spirituality during that phase, I think it was pretty non-existent. Did um, your parents freak when you wanted to get married and leave? Yeah, a little bit. They, I was quite headstrong. So when what I announced, what were you thinking? <laughs> well, you know, when somebody sends you like bucket loads of roses, and you're a student, yeah, and um, flies you up to Port Elizabeth, and you stay over in a hotel, and and I was a very innocent young girl. I was a virgin, and I was there was no. It wasn't like there was a big sexual attraction yeah. or a big. Well, that that was the driving force. But I suppose I was just bowled over. I'd yeah. never had as much attention from a man at all. So that was that. But it didn't last. It lasted for seven years. Okay. And I saw the light. <laughs> so the seven year each took, took, took indeed, over. Indeed. Indeed. And my life has strangely happened in, in sort of seven year periods in a way. Okay. So, yeah. My second marriage was also kind of a... It was longer. It was a 14 year. So I don't yeah. say that must mm. have been much longer. Yeah. yeah. And was, what was interesting in my second marriage was that my ex-husband used to hide my spirituality books away because he liked, had an obsession with books being displayed all in order of author and oh my word. color or whatever. So all the bookshelves, bookcases were very, very neatly aligned. And every time I tried to sneak my books into the bookcases, they were summarily removed and... Um, I was told to put them elsewhere so nobody could see. <laughs> My word. I, I remember the other day that I was never allowed to have books on my bedside table because I was told it looks unneat. Really? Yeah. So mm. now my bedside table looks like hell. It's just books and yeah, mostly recovery books and the need... iPad and my yeah. book that I'm reading, my book for my inner child that I'm reading. Yeah. So it's, it's total chaos. I would think that's exactly where you need to have So being books. a farm lady... Were you also attached to the Anglican Church, and did you have a kind of social responsibility project on the farm where you taught the folk? <laughs> because that's what most farm ladies do to keep themselves busy, isn't it? No, I, I didn't. For the first year... So you were, what, 2021? 20, mm, I actually turned 22 two days after our marriage. Okay. God, that's young. Yeah, very, very young, very green, very stupid. Um, should be a law against it. <laughs> I can remember my mum came coming into the room, my room, the night before I got married and saying, it's not too late to change your mind. <laughs> and um, her begging with me and saying, you have had so many dreams of traveling and, you know, doing other things. And you, this is, you, you're kind of going to put a stop to all of yeah. those dreams now. Um I guess she knew what I was going into, being a farmer's wife. Mm. Oh, she's had experience. She knew, mm. she knew exactly. Yeah, and it, it, it was a very hard environment for somebody who'd come from a liberal university. It was very verkrump and um, very racist, and I found that extremely hard. But throughout that time, to answer your question, there was no – I mean, we weren't, we're not church-going. Okay. And um, I'm afraid my social responsibility was zero. Mm. Okay. I baked for the taste never it, however, which is also a little secret lots of people find amusing. <laughs> so what did you bake? 
Do you bake? Oh, bake. Baked. Oh, you baked for them? Yes. What did you bake? I used to bake milk tarts, a variety of muffins, chicken pies, little mini quiches, rusks. <laughs> God. And I would, I made, it was a very beautiful little taste note rack, and it would generate at least three to four thousand rand from me. Those that years, that was, was huge money. It was yeah. very decent money. So I'd spend my evenings, I'd work and then come back. And I think it was an escape from not having to engage. Not having to engage. Yeah. And um, I had a, a domestic helper who'd sort of almost prep a whole lot of stuff during the day for me. And okay. then at night I could just finish it off and wrap package. And then I'd go in early, go to the gym, go and deliver my stuff and go to work. So, okay. Yeah. Um, probably why I don't bake anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Mandy is a very good cook, by the way. Uh, so, I wouldn't say that. No, you are definitely. Listen, man, and then you came to Cape Town after the divorce. Yes. Okay. And that's when we met. Yes. Okay. I came to Cape Town with the intention of going back to UCT to complete my speech and hear- hearing therapy degree. In the time that I had left of, of that year, which was sort of seven or eight months, I needed to find some work to save some money. I started temping, and whilst I was at one company, an agency called me up and said they had this job going, and that was when I went for my interview. And um, <laughs> and I think that the probably the the only reason I really got the job was because I spoke closer. So I can remember Nancy. I don't know if you remember Nancy. She worked for the direct managing director as a domestic helper. Yes. Okay. Mm. Yep. So Nancy was called in to, during my interview to actually double-check whether I really could speak the language <laughs> or not. <laughs> and she was, was obviously funny. happy with the result. Yes, she was. <laughs> and at that time, for me, it was a well-paid job. And mm. then, of course, it just it grew. Yeah. And once you're earning money and you've made friends and you've mm. got your feet under the table, I kind of thought, well, why should I go back to university? Yeah. This is far more interesting. And that's where we met. When I applied for that job, <laughs> I didn't know what the financial services company did. Really? <laughs> no, I didn't. So, <laughs> so in the interview, I was asked, so do you know what the financial companies did? And I said, yes. And I just prayed, please don't ask me. Please, <laughs> please don't ask me what they do. And um, I got the job because they were looking for an Afrikaans person. Okay. With client services, and that's exactly what I had. And where were you before that? I was with government. I was oh, working for right. in the parliamentary state division of the, the Department of Public Works and Land Affairs. Okay. Mm. So when I got that job, it was kind of... And when did you start learning. that job? You, were, you started just before September me, didn't you? September 1995. Okay. Yeah. And I think we had a lot of communication because you used to write the newsletter yeah. and you used to have to come and illicit information from me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because, but the funny thing is, and back to spirituality is, that's when I got to know you, but I immediately liked you. And even though I had no sense of spirituality at that stage, in my head, you you had something, I don't know what to call it. There was a sense of calm grace to you even though you're possibly freaking inside because <laughs> you just got divorced back in, back in the big city, working for a new company. Yeah, I, I think that that is a, it's a funny thing. A lot of people say that and I will be quivering inside and they, 
yet they say, well, you look so confident yeah. and you look so self-assured and calm. But it is a facade that I've managed to mm. pull off. My mother said that to me once I came into recovery and we were speaking about something. I said to her, but the problem was my confidence. And she says, but you were always so confident. Mm. And I said, well, that was the perfect mask I mm. put on. Mm. I had no choice. My father was horrified the other day when I told him that I had very little confidence in myself. Yeah. He was absolutely flawed. He, he really could not believe it. Yeah, we just put that mask on because we, we yeah. have to. Yeah. And then you met your ex. Yes. And then I met my ex and um, we had a very happy I think 14 years together. And it was through him that you ended up in Cambodia. Yes. You did a lot of travels. Yeah. And yes. mostly to the east. Yes. For some reason we were drawn there. And so the first time we went to Cam- Cambodia, it was a holiday. Were you then still staying in South Africa? Yes. And um, I fell in love with the textiles and the silk. And we were very, very fortunate to meet the owner of the hotel that we stayed in was this beautiful old building right on the, the front of the Mekong. Um, and it had this, you know, typical old colonial front balcony with high ceiling fans. And you could sit there in the evening and watch the locals go by and have their dinner. And there was somebody who pushed a little cart selling fermented eggs, which apparently is a great delicacy in Cambodia. Apparently. You apparently. never had it. No. no, no, no. <laughs> um, and... So the second, we, we met the owner of the hotel and he introduced me to his wife and she had a beautiful range of clothing. And I've always been dabbling with, you know, clothing and textiles and that was my great love. And she offered to take me to all of the shops that she used to buy her silk. Okay. And then I went to visit a lot a lot of NGOs. There were a hell of a lot of NGOs Um for people who'd suffered from, I think, birth defects, but also from landmines, and there were a lot of weaving um, organizations. But I met a wonderful girl called Tanan who had a shop um, quite near the hotel, and I started buying silk scarves and silk bags that she made. Okay. Um, she had um, a stump on her one hand, and the other hand she had just had a, I think two digits, a Good thumb, grief. and a, and she just fascinated me that she was able to, to run this very very beautiful business, um, and she had a lot of of American particularly customers, repeat customers. So I used to buy quite a bit from her, and then I used to go into the market and buy. So Cambodia was a, a we probably went there about, I guess about three or four times, and from there we also went on to Laos, to Luang Prabang, and there of course you just witness Buddhism. The whole village is really centered around Buddhism and the monastery. And you see these little monks from, they probably look about three or four years old, up to like an 85-year-old monk. And every morning they come out and they do a circuit around the village to collect alms. Okay. You know, so people give them food. (laughs) Sorry. Not not alms, Freddie. Not alms with fingers on the end. A-L-M-S. (laughs) Alms. Yeah, no, they're a little more peaceful than that. Yeah, it's not not a yeah. I could just see this Buddhist. <laughs> Sorry, the, 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 the picture in my head, no. kind of smuggling all this stuff underneath no, those no, orange no, no, robes. No, no. <laughs> Although one of the funny things I did see, and I don't know why I found it so funny, but I, I saw a Buddhist monk in um, 
Phnom Penh hiding behind a car having a cigarette with his yellow umbrella. <laughs> I, I took a photograph of him, actually. Yeah. We all have our vices. Yes, we? exactly. <laughs> Sweet. Exactly, yeah. So that was where you came in touch with Buddhism. And am I correct if, if what I'm hearing is what attracted to you was the peacefulness, the um, forgiving nature? What else was there? Compassion. And I suppose this this ability to accept impermanence and yeah, just a real sense of stillness. Even in, in the traffic, which was completely wild, it flowed because nobody was aggressive and nobody was in a hurry, you know, yeah. and it was just yeah. Everything was just sort of seemed to be rooted, strongly rooted in, in something. A little while later, as you know, we moved to Hong Kong. And then to Singapore, and from Singapore I used to travel a lot to Bali, also to do um, clothing manufacture, manufacturing. And Bali is um, Buddhist, although the rest of Indonesia is Muslim. Okay. And staying in Bali and witnessing, you know, the beautiful ceremonies. I mean, every single morning there's sort of a little ceremony with a flower and water and where they put all these little things out their doors or, in fact, in their cars, in the, the sort of front window ledge of their okay. cars. So you see just this, I don't know, respect for nature and simplicity, yeah, resonated with me. So, yeah, it hasn't been a perfect journey and I don't really understand it fully, mm. but, um, yeah. Did you feel you were searching for something at that stage in your life? Or did it just happen that this resonated with you when you got in touch with it? No, I think I was searching. I think I was convinced that there was a higher being, but I didn't really know how to connect with that. And um, you felt the need to connect with a mm, higher being. Yeah. So apart from the Buddhist Center sessions, more recently I went to the School of Philosophy, ah. which in a way you know, is also searching for that inner being, if you like, yeah. and connected with that as your higher being. I am a bit confused about spirituality because I draw a lot from philosophy and then I draw a lot from Buddhism and then I sometimes draw something from astrology. So it's it's still a work in progress, yeah. if you like. But I think everybody's spirituality is a work in progress. Mm. It's one of those things, hopefully we continue growing mm. and as we grow, our spirituality grows with that. Mm. And you said earlier that it's kind of a start-stop thing mm. and i strongly believe that sometimes we need to take a few step backwards mm. to to get the, the bigger picture to reassess to reevaluate before we can move forward yeah the problem with those stoppages for me is that they are where life starts to get muddled up and go wrong and i recognize it and then i immediately get back into my meditation and it's amazing how Centered I am when, when I am focused on that. And when Do you I am formally meditate on your bed, on a couch or? Mostly on my bed. I meditate in my bed. <laughs> but I, I try and sit up. I don't okay, lie down no, like and that. meditate. And I sometimes listen to spoken meditation. Okay. Yeah, I do guided um, meditation. Yeah, guided meditation. I find it non-guided. My head just goes too, mm. too ballistic while mm. the guiding just focuses me somehow. Yeah. It's very difficult to reach that point where your mind is completely still. Yeah, so I guess every time you stop, you almost have to start from scratch again. 
So is that for you your spiritual practice, meditation? Mm. Okay. Yeah. Do you do any form of motivational spiritual reading? Mm, I do. I read a lot of, of um, in fact, probably more, 90% of my reading is 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 pretty intense literature. Okay. It's about self-improvement and self-awareness. Mm, and sometimes you, I think it would be quite good just to go and re- read a trashy novel rather. Um, you're currently reading Joy. What? The, the, the joy, Book of Joy. The Book of is Joy. the Book of Joy? Dalai Lama and Archbishop Tutu. Yeah. Mm. A mutual friend of ours is busy reading at the, okay. at the moment as mm. well, James. He was actually, I did a podcast with him as well. He's busy reading at the moment, also finding it extremely interesting. Yeah, it's it's quite simple in in, in a way. I mean, it's just there's a, there's a simpleness in its in its expression. But isn't that what what I think spiritually spirituality is trying to teach us is to take the noise away, mm. um, strip strip the bullshit away, mm. and look at the at the bare necessities and focus on that bareness and, and on on the necessities of what we need to do. Mm. And if we do that, we'll be okay. Because mm. most of life is, the way I look at it, is noise. And if I think about our lives when we met, when we were socializing, that was noise. Mm. <laughs> there was very little real attached to it. It was, I mean, that weekend of our 40th birthday party on that boat. It was completely hedonistic. Yeah. It was all about hedonism and materialism and, yeah. and, and things like that. It was lovely. It was it was fun. Mm. But there was very little real connection. Yeah. No, it was more about connecting with a bottle of wine. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and the odd zorb. <laughs> totally I so. seem to remember on that trip. But I think... That that's exactly it. And there was a sense for me when my second marriage started falling apart. It didn't start. It just sort of yeah, quite, just quite rapidly crashed. Completely crashed, yeah. And that was a very, very tough time for me. And I took myself off for a two-week diving experience on a little island called Monado off North Sulawesi where they have magnificent wall diving, scuba diving. Wall diving. They call it wall diving because it's sort of down a face of, I guess it's... It's an underwater cliff. It's an underwater cliff. Yeah. And there it's, the coral is particularly healthy and you just, and you drift. So you don't, there's no effort in it. You're vertical, you're not even bothering to kind of swim and you just drift with the current. Oh, my word. And it is absolutely beautiful. Um, So I took myself off there knowing that... I was moving back to South Africa and I needed to do a last dive trip, but also just to be still and kind of try and answer a few questions. And a friend gave me the book, The Monk That Sold His Ferrari, oh, which I'm sure you've read. Yeah. And that resonated with me a lot. And it, it sort of, it, it made me think a lot about authenticity mm. and wanting to be live an authentic existence. Singapore had become a lot about think the trappings of wealth um it was an incredibly hedonistic lifestyle as well you wanted for nothing you as a as a homemaker because i couldn't work there i was i was there on on as a spouse you did virtually nothing because you had full domestic help um and i had somebody working for me from the philippines who was a wonderful woman um but she did everything she cooked, she cleaned, she washed the car, she walked the dog, she did the grocery shopping. 
It so was, what the hell did you do? No, exactly. Sorry for sound. No. Sorry for sound judgmental. But what the hell no, did you exactly. do? Exactly. So you sort of I swam around initially, and then that's when I picked up the clothing line because oh, okay. I needed to do something. So I started off with production in Vietnam, and then I was on holiday in Bali, again on a diving trip, and I remember sitting on the dive boat after coming up from a dive, and there was this lovely girl called Bella who we dived with, and I said, what brings you to, to Bali? And she says, I'm here for three months. Um, I have a fashion label in London, and I do production here. So oh, wow. I'm here for three months to source fabrics and create designs and whatever. And she said, what are you doing? So I said, well, I'm, I'm also dabbling in that field, but I don't know where to start. And she said, here are the people you can start with. <laughs> you and have she arrived. Was just incredibly generous. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, that was the start of... My label called White Ginger. So okay. that was really exciting because I spent a lot of time going backwards and forwards to Bali and, you know, they're all, the, the Buddhism and, and the, yeah, just the traditions and things were always there to remind you of simplicity. Um, so you got to absorb. So I got to do a little bit. I didn't just sit on my backside and do nothing. Um, but it was still... A hedonistic lifestyle. Yeah. Do you find any of your the Buddhist simplicity coming through in your clothing line? Hmm. Interesting question. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I'm looking at your top you're wearing now, which I know is one of your designs. Mm. And in essence, it's very simplistic. Yeah. But you've... I don't know how to it, it, it describe it because there's no additional detail. The detail you've created is from the, the, the fabric. Well, I think it's just all the tucks. And funnily enough, this design is is exact is a Balinese design, as you know. Yeah. And see what Balinese I mean is, is it, this isn't it's not stuff. It's the mm. fabric that, mm. that you've used to create all the details. Yeah. So, in, so I don't in, know. In essence, maybe it that, is really quite simple. Maybe the 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 Balinese production has more of a Buddhist thing, but my production now in Cape Town, because uh, I now have this label called Sunday Girl. Is not at all, um, and maybe that's that's an interesting point. Maybe I need to go back there, yeah, because maybe that's where, you know, that's where the essence the lies. Essence of tap it, into that you essence, know, and yeah. The reason behind getting excited about it. It will be really interesting to see a combination of kind of African patterned things mm. in a very simplistic, mm. very essence based, essence driven design. Yeah. There you go. We've just created your new line. <laughs> <laughs> what shall we call it? Afro Asian. Sim- simple. <laughs> I want well. some of the dumb clothes of yours, please. <laughs> How did the rug being pulled out from under you in Singapore contribute to your spirituality being back in South Africa? If anything, or did it well, mm. did it cause one of those the, those stepping backs, those frozen periods? I don't think it even caused a, a frozen period. I think I had I was so completely You were broken. Yeah, I almost want to say, you know, you sort of when all your insides have just been ripped out of you. Yeah. Um I was so completely empty, um and so devastated and so disbelieving that that could have happened in our lives. I drank a lot, I partied hard. I could run like a demon for some reason. 
Because I was functioning on pure adrenaline. Yeah. So my friend would always say, but you had, you had like a bottle of red wine last night. But you take off up the hill at, you know, great pace. But I was incredibly skinny, very light. And I was eventually warned by a doctor that if I didn't get myself balanced, I was going to have adrenal burnout. And then oh, I was going to have very serious consequences. That's terrible, adrenal yeah. fatigue, eh? Yeah. I now so, know two people who suffer from it. Absolutely. Well, fortunately, I didn't ever get there. But I was, very, I was very close to it. And mm. the lecture was very much taken to heart. So I think my sense of spirituality just went, had, it wasn't even revisited. I couldn't focus on anything but my pain. Um, so you didn't even question. It was just, it was too sore to function. Yeah. Um, and I wish I'd been able to to step back into just some kind of stillness. You know, I didn't want to live. I had, I felt I had no more purpose in life. Um I didn't know how I was going to start again. And um, and yet, it was, in the end, I think, my decision to leave. I was unable to forgive. Yeah. I couldn't accept the fact that he could value her so highly and um, was not prepared to distance himself from her for the sake of our relationship. Yeah. You know, he simply did not see that it was a problem. He did not see that it was a problem, that he was essentially, you know, come <laughs> home from business trips and he'd be buying her presents. <laughs> and on his birthday, she took him to lunch. And when I asked him if I could take him to lunch, he told me he was busy working. But, you know, as it all came to light, um, there was this pattern of horrible lies. That, um, so you possibly could have forgiven, but... The, I think the problem was, and that's what my ex said to me as well, is you've shattered the trust so badly that I can never, ever build, I can't see me building that trust up again. Mm. So we can't continue. Mm. It just, it's not something that I can see happening mm. ever. So even though forgiveness could, could, could step in, the, the building up of the trust will take so long that you just don't have the energy to do that. Yeah, and I was so completely broken that I think at a time where there was a, an opportunity for me to get back together with him. He was living in Japan and there was no way that somebody in as fragile a state as I was could suddenly up sort of again up and roots to a and new country Tokyo, again, yeah. You know, where I was stuck in the middle of, you know, who knows what, not yeah. able to do anything. Um, so that kind of wasn't an option. And um I still am sad about it. I still think we buggered up. You know, we really should have worked harder mm. at saving it. But I guess that takes two people. And at the same time, I, I do believe that it has been part of my journey. So <laughs> I have had to learn lessons. Yeah. It's so weird. I sometimes look at my situation with my ex as well. And I thought, I, sh I should have at that stage be more assertive and said, let's try. But then if we did, I wouldn't have met Yaku. <laughs> I would have stood in the way of something absolutely amazing. Mm. So it's a very weird thing. I should have, but I'm so glad I did it. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> because so much good came out of the, 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 the result of that. Yeah, but you've also worked incredibly on. hard at that. Yeah, no, you know? I've done some. I think you've done some very, very serious work on, on, on yourself and put a lot of energy and effort into it. I've spent the last five years feeling sorry for myself. And trying to dig myself out of this yeah. sadness. And 
I think I'm getting there now. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the way forward for you? If you think of the year 2018, what would Mandy like to do for her to put her on a true, a true path of spiritual, mental, physical health? Well, you put it in a nutshell because it's exactly what I, I, I actually enunciated to somebody the other day was that I have neglected all three of those areas of my life in yeah. the last three months. And they all need attention. And the person I was chatting to said, you know, it doesn't, you must trust that that there is somebody out there that you can talk to in whatever form. Don't, don't try, if you can't believe it from a sort of a Christian perspective or whatever perspective, even if it's, if it's talking to your mom as a spirit out yeah. there. Um, just trust that there is help out there. Yeah. You know, you're not on your own. If you, we, we say it in recovery, if you can't in the beginning have that trust, fake it. Mm. Fake it until your, your brain starts believing. Okay. And a lot of us say, but we work, as, we work in a, a program of honesty. That's lying. You know what? It's surviving. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> if you have to lie to yourself that little lie mm. in the beginning just to get yourself mm. going, then by all means, just, just, well, after this conversation, which was with my dad, and I spoke to him the next day, and I said, "Hey, Dad, I did what you told me, and nobody has come to my nobody's answered, <laughs> so I'm still waiting for an answer." And he said, "You just keep keep going, my girl." So, but I think that is it's very poignant for me for 2018, and it's going to be a year of building and and really looking after my physical, mental, spiritual. Yeah. Um, needs and um, yeah, and that will entail, entail meditation, um, exercise, eating healthy. Because mm. both of us have kind of had a good twenty seventeen. If you look at us, <laughs> Freddie, it's just been completely indulgent <laughs> and over the top. So no more peanut butter sandwiches, <laughs> no more midnight snacking, no more binging on champagne. It's just yeah, all got you. Got to go. And it has to be about, you know, I mean, I'm 50 now and, and I have to, not only do I need to set a, a sale secure financially, I need to um, get my act together now. Yeah. You know, it, it, aches and pains start sitting in now if you don't look after yourself. <laughs> Tell me about it. Mm. <laughs> and living on your own is, has living on my own has not been easy. Some people enjoy it. I don't find it easy to go out to restaurants on my own. Yeah. Then on the other hand, you've got the perfect guy magnet at the moment. Yeah, but you know... She's got a six-month-old golden retriever puppy who is absolutely gorgeous. And that is a guy magnet. Yeah, but you know, I missed the signals. (laughs) (laughs) So I was having lunch with my sister-in-law just recently in Scarborough and this gorgeous guy came over and he he said, may I? And I said, of course. And he was loving Ben and really, really engaging with him and Dawn was looking at me with big eyes and I was like, what? She said, Afterwards she said, you completely missed the cue. <laughs> so, so there's something you know, to meditate. There I am wearing this blooming great big <laughs> So take to- that The off. toilet ring. Move the toilet ring to the other On finger. my wedding hand. So, you know, I don't know. Because that is something that says I'm not available. Yeah, I think I give out very strong signals mm. that I'm not available and I'm trying to Open up that heart. So maybe actively meditate on help me to 
help me to open my eyes mm. to what I'm supposed to see. Because mm. you're probably not seeing what you're supposed to be seeing. Yeah. And when I came back, I did a lot of... But it's a very spiritual process of connecting with your guides. She works subtly over your body, almost without touching your body. Sounds like a reiki It. I, I think it is Reiki. I think it might be Reiki. And every time I went to her, she'd say, your heart is completely closed. So she obviously worked with the chakras mm. as well. And she said, until you open this heart, yeah. you're not going to move out of this. And every discipline that I went to see, so whether it was the astrologist that I was going to see, or whether it was the Reiki specialist, or whether it was, God, I saw all manner of people trying to find, find a centeredness. They all came up with the same thing, and they said, "Well, are you surprised? You know, it's yeah. kind of this is what what life is 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 trying to teach you." So the mission for twenty eighteen is to open the heart mm. to whatever that that, mm. that means. And maybe I need to do that symbolically. You know, I mean, maybe it needs to be. I don't know. My house needs to be covered in hearts. <laughs> yeah, remind you of of, yeah. of something. Yeah, oh. meditate on it. Become quiet yeah. on it and see what. For me, during meditation, a lot of Arbitrary stuff pop into my head. Mm. And once I finish meditating, I can actually put meaning to them. Mm. And then the thing is, once I've got the meaning, I need to take the action to, mm. to, 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 to make it happen. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just a meaningless or whatever. Yeah. And my answer, especially to my clients, always ask, what you've got to lose? What do you have to lose to mm. open your heart? Mm. You've got so much to gain. Mm. With that note, I think we'll end it right there. Oh, wow. That's just the perfect place to stop. Great. You've got Thanks, so Greg. much to gain by opening your heart. Thank you so much. Thank I really you. appreciate it. You must have a wonderful rest of your day. And you too. And a good 2018. As well to you. Thanks, man. Well, that was fun. I now feel closer to Mandy than ever before. I'm so grateful that we had this time to talk about her spiritual journey. I know her return to South Africa has been incredibly difficult for her, but I am really happy to see that she seems to be finding both a physical and spiritual place again. I love a new house with its beautiful, calming views of the sea, and would any day pop in to take Ben, the golden retriever puppy, for a walk. It even seems as if our visit and energy in the house brought her cat, Katie, back home. Katie left when Ben arrived. I hope the family will now live happily in the new little piece of heaven. If you have any feedback or remarks, please feel free to pop me an email or connect on social media. It will be great to hear from you. If you want to know more about what I do, please feel free to connect with me on my website which is www.freddy.org.za or find me on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash freddy.org.za or on Twitter at at Freddy. Remember that Freddy is always spelt with an IE at the end. Be safe. Bye.